I want you to open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm going to do something I normally don't do. I'm going to do a thematic or topical sermon tonight. It is a little bit different than my norm, but I will try to expound on each point to where you have biblical information in context flowing through your mind. 2 Kings chapter number 5. I think we talked about this, but I just want you to notice what the Bible says in verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. That means probably a teenager. And she waited on Naaman's wife. She was Naaman's wife's servant. And she said to her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And then in verse number (laughs) 8, the word got out, and he heard there might be a cure for him. So he wrote the king of Syria, he said, here I'm coming over there. Naaman wrote, over there, and he said, I'm coming over there. You better be ready uh, in your land to receive me because I'm coming to get healed of my leprosy. Well, that scared the king half to death. And the Bible says in verse number 8, And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes that he'd sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know if there is a prophet in Israel. Here's what he said. Keep your shirt on, king. I'm here. Keep your shirt on, king. I'll take care of this. And so tonight, I'm just going to use that term. When Elisha, the man of God, We throw it around a lot, but let's talk tonight. I'm just going to stop because it flows so much through Elijah and Elisha's life and tell you what the Bible says that a man of God is. Let's pray. Father, teach us to honor and love your word. Teach us to love your dear son. And teach us, God, to be faithful. Now, God, I pray the word would not return void, but tonight that it would bring forth some fruit. Thank you that you gave just a little rain this morning, and it hit a seed, and it grew up, and Brother Shane was able to harvest. And God, we just need some more rain, and we do. There will be more people to harvest. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for your faithfulness to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Our study into Elijah and Elisha has brought us into the presence of a different kind of character than we find in much of the Bible. He is called the man of God, the man of God. Now, we usually uh, attribute that to particular people in high places or folks in, um, you know, upper echelon of religious circles But the title, man of God, is in reference to his office more than his character or personality. 
or even lifestyle for that matter. In fact, apart from Elisha, who seemed to be have a really good personality, the personalities of most of the prophets were outspoken. Uh, they were not very sociable in their lifestyle, and even sometimes they were boldly rude. Just saying, you read it, but the but the man of God's entire occupation was devoted to the service of the Lord God. As I understand the scripture, as I read it, they were mostly full time. They were always at the disposal of a need to give out a word for God. They were not a vocational office where you had to wait for something to happen, but they were always available to give out the message of God, and so even though they used secular means to survive, they may have had other things that they did to help them live, but uh, they lived off of people's gifts and they lived off of maybe their own work. And we, we will find that later in the school of the prophets. But all they used secular means to survive, that was second to their official call as a man of God. Now, more applied to the prophets than any other. Uh, prophets are called man of God more than any other in the scripture. Their whole ministry was given to bring one wholly set apart to the proclaiming of God's word. So I want to categorize this. Um, now, that this is not fully exhaustive. I don't know that you could ever exhaust this topic. We could preach and preach and preach upon it, but this is not... Uh, Purely exhaustive, but I think I can categorize it tonight to where you can see it, uh, what it is, and the combination of these four things I'm going to give you tonight. Number one, a man of God was a mighty leader. A mighty leader. We see that in the life of Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse number one, we find where the Bible tells us about a man named Moses. Listen to what it says about him. And this is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And you can find that same mighty leadership that Moses had in Joshua 14, verse number 6, in 1 Chronicles 23, verse number 14, in 2 Chronicles 30, verse number 16, and in Ezra chapter 3, verse number 2, all of them say, this is what Moses said. This is what Moses would do. This is how Moses would lead. And so he was a mighty leader. But according to this word, this verse, he was a mighty blesser. <laughs> he blessed them. When he was just about to die, he blessed them. While he was alive, he wanted to kill them. Because they was a... Fussing, fighting, bunch all the time. They was always into something, always doing the wrong thing. And, and, and Moses would, they, they would be fussing and arguing. Moses would have to try to deal with it until finally one day he said, God, I can't handle this crowd. God said, yes, you can because I'm going to give you Aaron and her and they're going to hold up your arms and you're going to be victorious. He was a mighty leader because he was a mighty blesser. He blessed those right before he died. He blessed the nation. He blessed the people. He blessed the individuals. But thirdly, he was a Bible man. 
Ezra chapter 3, verse number 2. Joshua chapter 14, verses 6 through 8. Uh, you can read where he was such a Bible man that when Moses spoke, people took him serious even after he had died. When you die, no one will care what you say. When I die, no one will care what I say. But you see, when Moses died, he had a word from God, he had a law of God, and everybody was to obey that. And so they took serious what Moses said. So he not only was a mighty blesser, he was a mighty Bible man, but thirdly, he was a mighty blood man. Because he was the one who was able to proclaim to them about the sacrificial uh, operation or ordinance of the children of Israel. You can find it in 1 Chronicles 23, 14. 2 Chronicles 30, verse number 16. He is the one who come up, uh, God came up with it, gave it to them. He shared that there was to be a sacrificial system. So he was a blood man. So he was a mighty leader. That's what a man of God is. A man of God's a mighty leader. I, I, I think, think that's interesting, even though he's not called the man of God. In 1 Peter, the pastor is called to take the oversight. Take it and not resent taking it. Not try to dump it on somebody else. Let the buck stop with the preacher. Friend, that's the way it's going to be here. You can fuss at somebody else. You can gripe in the hall. You can whisper. You can text. You can do whatever you want to do. But when it's all said and done, the buck stops here. And that's the way it's supposed to be. You're to be a mighty leader. Now, you might not agree with the leadership all the time. And just to be honest, I don't even agree with some of the things I do myself. <laughs> But I try my best, I try my best to get God's will, God's word, and be sensitive to what he wants Hillcrest Baptist Church to do. And when God leads that way, I expect the church to embrace it with all their heart. And so does God. Number two, and by the way, I have never, ever tried to dictate to you. I've never, ever begged you for money. I've never, ever asked you for anything, not anything. You can ask our deacons. I've never asked for one dime. Never asked for a thing. Finally, God just has been good because we've had a good church. And God has put me, and he'll put someone else after I'm gone. And someone before me will be a mighty leader. Secondly, a man of God is mighty messengers. They're mighty leaders, but they're mighty messengers. We find that in Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 9, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 6. You can find it there, and I'm going to find it here. 1 Samuel chapter number 6. Uh, chapter 9, I'm sorry. Chapter 9. My eyes has fallen short tonight. But look at verse number 6. And he said unto him, Behold, now there is in this city a man of God. You see that? 
and he is an honorable man, and all that he saith comes surely to pass. Now let us go thither, peradventure he can show us our way that we should go. But before they went, they took up an offering to take for him. I've never had that happen, but they did it. But notice what they say. If we can just get to Moses, if we can just get to Moses, he will tell us where to go. He will tell us how to go. He will tell us what to do. He is a mighty messenger who gives our mighty guide. He gives us mighty, bold, accurate pathways to follow. He was bold. Samuel was a mighty guider, a mighty leader, a mighty discerner. He could discern. A leader has to discern. A man of God must discern. You got to sense things. You got to pick up on things. People may, may not like what comes from, from, the, from the preacher or like what comes from a person. But when you're discerning as a pastor, you, ought, you know some things that people don't think you know. And you may not ever reveal it. You might not ever say it, but you know it in your heart. And you're aware to be careful of how the devil works. So they're mighty messengers. Samuel was. Secondly, not only was Samuel a mighty messenger, but there were some unnamed people called man of God who also was mighty messengers. We don't even know their name. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 27. 1 Kings chapter 13, verses 1 through 26. And they also was bold and courageous and accurate in their message. So a man of God, not only is a mighty leader, but he is a mighty messenger. Number three, a man of God is a mighty proclaimer. Or we would say today, a mighty preacher. Or a, that day they would say a mighty prophet. Elijah is called that, that kind of man, that mighty proclaimer, that mighty preacher, that mighty prophet. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 18, and verse number 24 identifies him as the man of God. First, 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 9 through 13, he was such a man of God, and he was so Fearless that when they come to take him away, the fire burned the 50 men who came to take him away. Not once, but twice. And the third guy said, hey, don't burn me up yet. I got something to tell you. You see, that was a mighty proclaimer. And so he goes down and gives him a word. You know what he went down and said? Hey, king, you're going to die. You're going to fall through the lattice, and you're going to be scarred up, messed up, and you're going to die. He was pretty accurate. It took place, exactly as he said. But then we come to Elisha, to which has been our main study over the last several weeks. And Elisha carries the title, man of God, more than any other character in the Bible. It is said about Elisha, he is the man of God. More than any other character that's mentioned in the Bible. Y'all getting this? I want you to write these four things down as I'm going because as we go through and we see that word man of God, it's not something we take lightly. 
There were those days in Israel when there was no man of God. And so when they had a man of God, they were thrilled, or at least those who, those remnant of believers was thrilled to know they had a prophet in the land. Somebody able to preach it. In fact, just in 2 Kings chapter 4, you, you just count them up. Verse 7, verse 9, verse 16, verse 22, verse 25, verse 27, verse 40, verse 42. And in chapter 5, verse 14, verse 20, chapter 6, verse 10, verse 15, chapter 7, verse 2, verse 17, verse 19, chapter 8, verses 2 through 11, chapter 13, verse number 19. Listen, this man was a man of God. Have you figured that out by now? God just keeps telling us and telling us and telling us Elisha was a man of God. And so, in 2 Kings 5, I want you to perk your ears up and listen to me. Every one of you, I done tore my Bible up here tonight, getting all excited and ripped a page out of my Bible. I want you to know tonight that Elisha was a man that people had great confidence in God working in them. Because that little teenage girl, she could never ever go to him because he had leprosy. And, and, and she could never even talk to him if he didn't because she was just a little slave girl. But you see, a wife has a way of getting to a man even though in those days they were not, they didn't have equal rights like ours do as they march down the streets. I wish we could bring back some of those who beheaded those who did that in those days. And say, that's awful hard. No. Listen, what do they want? They got everything in the world. What do they want? They got men's jobs. They make men's money. They can drive. They, they, they can vote. They can, they can serve, they can be an actor, they can be anything they want to be. The world is wide open. What do they want? I'll tell you what they don't want, to be what God wants them to be. A feminist is a God hater because they reject and they resent everything God says in the Bible about a lady and a woman of God. I, I, why'd y'all get me off on that far? Madonna even came out and said, and Madonna, the old heifer, I, she's, she's over the hill, washed up, no good. Never has been. She's been trash ever since she showed on, up on the scene. And she said she had thought a hundred times about blowing up the White House. If I'd have said that, I'd be in jail. That's hate talk. That's hate speech. But she can say it walking down the streets of our capital city of the United States of America and say she thought a hundred times about blowing up the White House. I've thought a few times about blowing her up, amen? <laughs> but listen to this girl. Listen to this girl. This girl said, listen, I know I'm just a little servant girl, ma'am. You brought me from my land, but before I left, before I left, we had a prophet in our land. He was a man of God. I mean, he was a man of one God. He was a man of Jehovah God. I know y'all got a lot of gods here, but he was just a, a man of one God. And, and I, I, I met him before I left. And I'm telling you, 
if you would just talk to your husband, if you could just get the word to your husband, if you could get him to my preacher, he could tell him how to be healed. That was her heart. Just get him to my preacher. He's got the answer. Oh, he don't have the power to do it, but he's got the answer. And so, as wives do, she was able to convince her husband to go. We need some mighty preachers today, some men of God. Well, even when no one hears, we still need to be proclaiming. By the time you are recognized as a man of God, probably you will not be welcomed into a compromising church. I've come up through my days, and I would not compromise or back up from where I stood. And as a result, I never have been invited on the programs because they're afraid of what I might say. And I don't blame them for some things, but others, I'll at least say it from the Word of God. So, but I, here's what I want you to say. This little girl who was taken captive never forgot that there was a man of God that had been in her life. You be careful how you talk about the man of God. Your kids will hear it. And they'll say, well, mom and dad said he ain't no preacher. Mom and dad said he, 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 he's, he's too harsh and he's too mean. And, 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 and mom and dad, they said this about him. I, I really don't want to go to church now but I'm 16 because we don't have a man of God. You better be careful. Your kids ought to go out here and say, listen, if you can just not only get him to our path, listen, we got, we got other men of God here. Just get him to a man of God. And he has the answer. Somebody help me tonight. I'm not getting any help. Now, look, they are mighty leaders. They're mighty messengers. They're mighty proclaimers. But fourthly, they're mighty warriors and mighty praisers. David in 2 Chronicles 8, 14. Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 24 and 36. David gave orders. He's called the man of God. David gave orders and they were followed in just exactly how to build the temple and just exactly how to worship once the temple was built. He he ordained who the song leaders were. He ordained who the choir was. He ordained when they sung, when this group sung, and when that group sung. He, he had a constant praise going all over that temple all the time, day and night. You could hear them singing. And so a mighty man of God is not one who sits back and don't worship, but he's one who praises God. And not ashamed of it. But he also was a mighty warrior. He could praise God by night. And he could shoot the enemy by daytime. And I'll tell you, that's what a mighty man of God would do. So they, these mighty men had a word of God, a commission, and would not compromise. Even to the point of being rude in their obedience, they would not compromise. They exposed sin and called attention to the sins of the people. They pronounced judgment. They said there's heaven or there's hell. They said that you can be blessed or you can be cursed. They said there's love or there's hate. They said there's sin or there's self-righteousness. They never sugar-coated it, and every time they gave it out, God honored it. 
Now to the New Testament. You say, oh, no, we're going to go through all that again? No. Two places it's mentioned in the New Testament. You know which two places they're mentioned in? 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. The pastoral epistles. Jane, write that down, brother. Brother Mike, write it down. Two times it's mentioned in the New Testament. Both times to a, was written to a young pastor who already was called a man of God. And when I say young pastor, he was not a novice by no means. The first one is in 1 Timothy chapter 6, chapter, verse number 11. 1 Timothy chapter 6. That's what he said. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Do you notice that the man of God here being Timothy, he was the pastor of this church and all those some things he was to follow. And he also was told to flee some things as well as to follow some things. First of all, he was to flee corrupt and compromising preachers and teachers. You read verse 3 through 5, and you'll find in verse number 5, God says, from such withdraw thyself. I'm not going to hang out, and I'm not going to their conferences, and I'm not going to their little, uh, all the little deals that they have, and they call it religious. Brother, God said, stay away from that crowd. If they don't believe this book, they're not my crowd. I hope they're not yours. And we don't want anybody here that's not a man of God when it comes to fleeing some things. But there was also to flee covetous and money-seeking hearts, verse 6 through 10. In other words, Paul says, Timothy, you make sure you're the man of God. You make sure you're committed to your call and not your salary. He was not going to compromise to keep his job. I decided 25, six years ago, maybe 27 years ago, that I would never compromise to keep my job. Now, that don't mean I've kept my job. <laughs> but I was not going to compromise to do it. A whole group of men backed me up in a corner when I was in Florida. After everyone had gone, they backed me up in the corner. And he told me, he said, this kind of preaching don't go too good right here. We're not used to that. We're a close-knit community here. Everybody knows each other. Everybody's saved here. And I'm thinking, I don't even think you are. And he backed me and they said, now, this is what's going to have to happen. They started telling me all the things I was going to have to start doing if I remained their pastor. I can still remember to this day. Here they were, six or eight of them. I guess they're scared half to death of a little old midget like me. And so they said, what are you going to do about it? I said, I'll tell you Sunday morning. And Sunday morning when I started preaching, four of their wives hit the door. Because, son, I laid into them with everything I had. 
And I told them, by the way, they'd already took a petition around the community for people to sign uh, that didn't even come to their church half the day. I'd never seen them since I was there. And I got up and I said, I'm going to tell you folks something and you get it straight. It's took me this long to gain these convictions. It's took me three and a half to four years to have the conviction that I have in my heart. And I will not give up my conviction to keep my job at this church. And I didn't. <laughs> I never had a vote. They come up with a vote on me, and it was 51, 50%. 51 to 50 was the, was the vote. 51 to 50. And they said, well, preacher, the old folks love me. You think at that time I was in my 20s, you thought the young folks would love me. But the young adults hated my guts. I later found out there was three homosexuals committed and connected to that group. I found out other things that was going on there that nobody would speak about. But I was talking about them and they didn't feel good about me talking about it. Because it was going on in their family, with their people, and their community, which was the nicest of the community. So they said, the older people said, Brother Glenn, you can stay. You got 51. You got 51. They just got 50. I said, that ain't very good. So the next Sunday, I got up and I said, folks, would you please just let me leave? And so I walked out the door. I've been back one more time to that place. They didn't even remember what it looked like. And when they found out who I was, they were just whispering all over the church. When Pat and I was in Florida, and we wanted to go to church on Wednesday night. We drove an hour, hour and a half to get to that church. And, and we went in that church that night, and I believe we scared them half to death. Because when we got there, they was having a business meeting. And I just thought, that's just like them. We had a business meeting every day, I believe, while I was there. And here's the second place it's you, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 16 and 17, here's what he says. A man of God believes all the scripture to be inerrant, God-breathed, and profitable that it will furnish not only young Timothy as a pastor, but it will furnish those who listen to young Timothy. And the man of God will be a stronger man of God, and the woman of God will be a stronger woman of God. That's why I preach it. I'm ignorant of who, when movie stars come out, and you know, when people's advertising stuff, and and they say, you know, that's that's uh, uh, Matthew McCogden, whatever his name is. <laughs> but I don't know who he is. I, I I don't know the singers. I don't listen to that mess. I don't know the singer. Now, I can tell you about what, them in the 70s. I know Creedence Clearwater Revival and the Almond Brothers and all that. So I know that. But that's before I got saved. But I feel almost like I don't belong down here because when a name comes up, I don't even know who they are because I don't study that mess. I st- now, especially about all that my eyes can handle is the Bible. 
because I can't last to put anything else in it. And so I study the Bible or the work that needs to be done here at our church and write the articles and do the things I need to do. And that's about all my eyes can handle. And I'm kind of glad about that because I'm glad that when somebody is a filthy, dirty, no good singer or no good actor, when they step on the scene, but I don't even know who they are, I'm glad. And folks, if you get in the Word of God, it'll make you a better man of God. It'll make you a better woman of God. It'll make you a better teenager for God. If you believe this Bible to be inerrant, infallible, incorruptible Word of God. So, not all of us are men and women of God. But if we follow the right things, flee the right things, and trust the right book, God will do something amazing in your life.